I want to just review the past couple weeks to catch us up, or for those folks that are just joining us today, where we've been and what we've been looking at. So, Second uh, Samuel chapter 11, we looked at the story of David and Bathsheba. And in that story, David, of course, he's a, the king of the Israel, and he's supposed to be going out to war, but he doesn't go out to war. He stays back at the palace. When he's at the palace, he sees this beautiful woman bathing on a rooftop across yonder, and he decides that he would like to um, meet her. And so he sends uh, some of his people to find out who she is. Turns out that he knows who she is, after all, because he is related um, and through relationship with um, some people in her family. He calls for her anyway. Uh, Bathsheba comes to the palace. Um, David sinfully sleeps with Bathsheba, and Bathsheba gets pregnant. And in order to cover up the sin, David has uh, Bathsheba's wife, um, I'm sorry, Bathsheba's husband is killed out in ba- on the battlefield. So he tries to cover it up. Um, and an- anyway, this whole thing unravels. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, but in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we see that David's very distant from God. All of a sudden, he goes from this this king who's deeply, deeply connected to his father to all of a sudden, he has just given up on the relationship for some reason. And then uh, then in 2 Samuel chapter 12, God sends the prophet Nathan to confront David on his sin. Um, In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we uh, made a comparison about Jesus' temptation and David's temptation. And uh, we looked at uh, these different comparisons between the two in the context of their temptation. And so Jesus, when he was tempted in Matthew chapter 4, um, he was in the right place. It says in Matthew 4 that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted. So even though he was being led to a hard place, he was led by the Spirit. Okay? Whereas David, he was supposed to be out to war, but instead... He was in his palace, which just led to a whole sequence of bad things for David. Then, uh, in Matthew chapter 4, we see that Jesus started from a place of, of, of personal weakness. He was led into the desert where he fasted for 40 days, which put him into a place of weakness where he had to rely on his father, could not rely on himself, had to rely on his father. And through that, was strengthened by the father. So started at a place of spiritual weakness, or um, started at a place of physical weakness, so he could end at a place of spiritual strength. Whereas David started at a place of his own personal strength and ended up being personally weak because of the choices that he made. For Jesus, uh, as he was tempted by the devil, the devil said, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, people do not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So even though he was hungry because he had just been fasting, And Satan tempted him to turn the stones into bread so he could fulfill his cravings. Jesus would not be tempted by that. He said, I need the word of God. David, on the other hand, saw a beautiful woman on a rooftop across yonder, and he could not resist the cravings that he felt. Very different from Jesus. Jesus' second temptation was that uh, Satan took him up on the high point of the temple, and he said, jump off and have your father save you with his angels. And David knew who, that his father saved. He didn't need to test his father to see if he saved. He knew his father saved. And he said, he said in Matthew 4, the scriptures say you must not put the Lord your God to the test. David, on the other hand, looked to save himself. He committed sin. He was in a messed up situation. So he did all these things that actually made the situation worse, but he thought by doing those things that he would fix the situation, and it just didn't get any better. So David sought to save himself. And then the third temptation 
Jesus is taken to the high point in the city of Jerusalem. The high point. Um, and uh, Satan says, look at these kingdoms out here. He's like, if you worship me, you will have all of these kingdoms. And Jesus' response was, get away from me, Satan. You must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. David, likewise, was on the high point in the city, on the roof of the palace, which was likely the high point at that time. And he worshiped himself from that high place. He said, all this is mine. I can have that woman over there if I want. I am the ruler of this kingdom. This kingdom belongs to me. So we see, while Jesus isn't in the story of David and Bathsheba, he's, he's in the story of David and Bathsheba. We can see Christ, right? We see that difference between David and Jesus. And then, in 2 Samuel 12, when Nathan the prophet comes to confront David on all of his sin, and he says, you are that man. He tells him a story about this rich guy who steals a poor guy's little, little lamb. And David is horrified and angry at the story. And Nathan the prophet says, you're that man. You are the man in this story. And David breaks. And he repents. And he confesses his sin. And he turns back to the father. It's a homecoming of sorts. And uh, God had already prepared this beautiful place for David to live in in, in, in his presence. But David had chosen to step out of it. But that presence, that place was always there for David. But he had walked away. He was alone. And here you see at the end of these passages, in Matthew chapter 4, in Jesus' temptation, he ended being cared for by his father because of all the temptation he had gone for. It had taken, taken something from him. And he was being cared for by the angels. Whereas David was alone. He was alone with his sin. But the invitation to come home to his father, he receives it. And he steps back into that place of presence, which is a hard place for us to step back into. When we find ourselves in sin or find ourselves separated from the Father, we often have all these reasons why we can't go back to that place. I don't deserve that place. I have to work really hard to get back into that place. Um, It's embarrassing to go back to that place. God doesn't actually want me back in that place. But David does away with all of that. And he goes, no, that's the place that's familiar to me. That's where I need to be back. And so David gives us this example of courage to step back into the presence of the Father, this, this place, this presence that God had already been prepared, that had been prepared for all time, that David had already lived in, but had stepped out of. But he had the courage to come back, to, to be drawn back in by the Father to that place. And uh, we see Jesus here in 2 Samuel um, 12 as well. We see it in uh, Colossians. And on your scripture sheet, you can see the first scripture there. Colossians 1.19. It says, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. David, David knew that. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. David was reminded of that. He knew who he was. Despite his sin, he saw how God saw him, and he went back into the presence. Verse 23 is key. It says, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't let the enemy tell you that you don't belong there in that relationship with your father. Don't let him, because you do because he's drawing you to him. He has prepared a place for you. So David lived that example for us in 2 Samuel 12. 
and we're going to see a whole lot more of Jesus in David's story. Did I just say Daniel? Okay. I thought for some reason I said Daniel instead of David. Okay. We're going to see a whole lot more of David interacting with Jesus in today's sermon. And we're going to be looking at a psalm. We're going to look at Psalm 31. And two weeks ago, Justin walked us through Psalm 32. Like Psalm 32, Psalm 51 is a psalm of repentance and confession of David for his sin with Bathsheba. Although this psalm takes a little bit of a different form, has a little bit of a different direction than the one that Justin walked us through. So go ahead and you can open up your Bibles. I don't have Psalm 51 on the scripture sheet, but open up your Bibles to Psalm 51. I'm going to read the whole thing, and I'm reading from the, uh, the New Living Translation. David says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. Before we dive into that, I missed one piece on my next slide here I want to go back to. We talked about in, uh, when Nathan confronts David and uh, David having the courage to step back into this place that God was drawing him into, back into his presence, and how we can make up these excuses that we don't belong there. That's not a place for us. We're not good enough. Or I have to do a bunch of stuff before I get back there. Um, and I gave this illustration of when Courtney and I went on our honeymoon to Hawaii. Somebody had given us this great gift of being able to go to, to Hawaii on our honeymoon. And we got to the hotel at night. And uh, you couldn't really see much on the outside. But we walked into the hotel. And Courtney was like, oh, my goodness. This place is amazing. We, we can't stay here. This is a mistake. This place isn't for us. It's too nice. We're not that nice. Um, this is for people who have more than what we have, whether it's money or prestige or power or whatever. And um, I said, but, but it's paid for. Like, we, this is where we're staying. I don't have any other plants. This is, and she really seriously was ready to head back out the door because it was too good of a place. It wasn't for her. And you can see, I mean, just the lobby, just these massive columns and pillars and marble, and it was just out of proportion. I don't know who that small little man is in the background. But, um, and so it's that kind of picture of like, yes, this, this was a gift to us. Like, this is a place for us. And we did find during our nine, ten days there that, that it was a place for us. 
and that it was a place for us to be and it was prepared for us and it was grand and magnificent, but that's what God has for us and he did it for us. Do we have the courage to step in it and not run out the door? Okay, now, this is when I would have read Psalm 51. Now we're going to look at Psalm 51. So if you noticed in Psalm 51, there's a ton of language about cleansing. Lots of cleansing language. Um, Verse 1, he says, blot out my stains. Verse 2, wash me clean from my guilt. Again in verse 2, purify me from my sin. Verse 7, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Verse 9, remove the stain of my guilt. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. So lots, lots of cleansing language in here. And David says, um, he goes, you know, this whole idea of sacrificing an animal to bring cleansing, it just doesn't seem to fulfill David. He says, God, I know that's not really what you want. You want a broken heart as a sacrifice. You don't, th- this animal system, okay, that's cool. It's a system you set up, God. But, um, but there's something that David's feeling in this, right? He's kind of like, there's something beyond the animal sacrifice system that's in place that David's, that David is going after, that David is going after. So, and he's using all this cleansing language. Um, it's almost like David's acknowledging that this animal sacrifice system isn't really going to get him clean the way that he's desiring to be clean. Sure, it's going to ceremonial clean David. There's, there's ceremonial cleanliness that happens in the Old Testament. But David's looking for like a spiritual cleansing, a deep, deep spiritual cleansing. And he doesn't know if this animal sacrifice is actually going to get the job done. And if he did, he'd probably be out sacrificing an animal and not writing some poetic song about how he wants to be clean. But that's just what he's doing. He's writing this thing and expressing this yearning for something else, something that's, that's a little bit beyond. Um, if you look at your scripture sheets, I want to read that large chunk from, uh, from Leviticus there. I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture this morning uh, because scripture tells it way better than I ever could and God works deeply through his spirit. So if you tend to have a personality that checks out, you know, when things are being read or it's right here, so you'll read later, try, to, try really hard to check in and ask God to let his spirit allow you to focus because there's some really beautiful stuff in here that God wants to use to speak to your heart today. Um, Leviticus 1, 1 to 13. And this is just a description of this system that David's talking about in this psalm. The Lord called to Moses from the tabernacle and said to him, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you present an animal as an offering to the Lord, you may take it from the herd of cattle or your flock of sheep and goats. If the animal you present as a burnt offering is from the herd, it must be a male with no defects. Bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle so you may be accepted by the Lord. Lay your hand on the animal's head and the Lord will accept its death in your place to purify you, making you right with him. Then slaughter the young bull in the Lord's presence and Aaron's sons, the priest, will present the animal's blood by splattering it against all sides of the altar that stands at the entrance to the tabernacle. Then skin the animal, cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, will build a fire on the altar. They will arrange the pieces of the offering, including the head and fat, on the wood burning on the altar. But the internal organs and the legs must first be washed with water. Then the priest will burn the entire sacrifice on the altar as a burnt offering. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. 
If the animal you present as a, burf- a burnt offering is from the flock, it may be either a sheep or a goat, but it must be a male with no defects. Slaughter the animal on the north side of the altar in the Lord's presence, and Aaron's sons, the priest, will splatter its blood against all sides of the altar. Then cut the animal in pieces, and the priest will arrange the pieces of the offering, including the head and fat, on the wood burning on the altar. But the internal organs and the legs must first be washed with water. Then the priest will burn the entire sacrifice on the altar as a burnt offering. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So this is a basic description of this system that David's going, okay, that's okay. I get it, God. But I think there's something more that you're looking for. So this Old Testament cleansing, the thing broken was the animal, right? The animal is pretty well cut into various segments, as you just heard. So the thing broken, the thing dying, is this animal. And that is that animal is external to the sinner, right? Here's the person who committed the sin. Here's this unblemished animal who will somehow cleanse that person. It is external to the person. Um, the blood spilled was the animals. Again, external to the person. The blood belonged to the animal. The system was complex. Um, there's a lot more in Leviticus about sacrifices. This is just a little segment of it. It was very complex. Do this on the north side, splatter blood here, cut the animal here, put it here, wash these parts, take out the organs, put them here. Then these people will do this, and these people will do this. It's very complicated. It's a very complex system. And it is that. It is a system, right? They had to walk through it precisely. The system was very messy. Um, Jenna cleans our church. I don't think Jenna would want to clean our church if we were still in this system because this would be a very much dirtier place than it is. And Jenna will tell you, this gets to be a dirty place, right? It was very messy, physically messy. Um, And the system needed to be repeated regularly. It wasn't once for all time. So a sin is committed, animal sacrificed. Tomorrow, a sin is committed, animal sacrificed. Two weeks later, sin is committed, animal sacrificed. It has to be repeated over and over again. So David is attempting to orient himself towards something different. And you hear that just kind of coming through in this poetic psalm that he wrote. Um, it's almost like he can't quite put his finger on it, but he's, he sees a shadow of something better. And he's, he's going to go after that. <laughs> but he's not quite sure what he's going after. But he, but he feels it. Um, this, this illustration I'm going to give is, is very, maybe will undercut just the, the depth of what David is speaking, but I'm going to give it anyway because I think it helps us to connect to it. How many of you have a refrigerator where you live? Okay, how many of you have had a piece of paper that was in your hand on your counter or was on your fridge originally fall and go and go under the fr- refrigerator? Okay, some of you. Or something go under the fridge and you're kind of like, oh, and it's really frustrating because the fridges aren't made, there's not much clearance underneath. And it's always, you can see it, you get a flashlight out, but you can't quite, you know, like you get your hand in part of the way and then it gets stuck like right there and you can't get under. And you're trying to figure out how to get this piece of paper because it's usually something pretty important. And you're thinking, I'll get a tool of some sort. There must be a tool that will allow me in there. But you can't find the right tool because the paper is just too far under or the thing that you thought you would slide under is too fat or you can get it, but you can't get a grip on it, you know, and you're really getting angry. And so, 
So you're thinking there must be something better out there. There must be the perfect tool that I just haven't found yet. So what am I left with? I'm left with this, I'm left with moving the fridge, which nobody wants to do because then you have to look at what's under your fridge besides that paper. And if you haven't looked under your fridge in the past couple years, it is nasty. I'm telling you that. I haven't been to your house, but it's nasty. And so, so it's like this old way, right? So it's like, okay, the only, the thing that I'm left with is moving the fridge. Okay, I can do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to look at the mess underneath. It's heavy. I'd prefer just to have the perfect tool. In fact, I'd prefer to spend 10 times longer finding the perfect tool than actually just moving the fridge. So anyway, we'll come back to that in a second. So it's, it's kind of like that, just to put it in your world a little bit. I hope that helped. Um, go ahead and flip to the back of your bulletin. I'm going to read Psalm 51, but this time from the message, uh, Eugene Peterson's just uh, interpretation of the passage. And, uh, and again, listen, listen for that cleansing language, how Peterson brings out um, the cleansing language from Psalm 51. A David psalm, after he was confronted by Nathan about the affair with Bathsheba, generous in love, God give grace, huge in mercy, wipe out my bad record, scrub away my guilt, soak out my sins in your laundry. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. You're the one I violated, and you've seen it all, seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me is fair. I've been out of step with you for a long time, in the wrong since before I was born. What you're after is the truth from the inside out. Enter me, then. Conceive a new true life. Soak me in your laundry, and I'll come out clean. Scrub me, and I'll have a snow-white life. Tune me into foot-tapping songs. Set these once-broken bones to dancing. Don't look too close for blemishes. Give me a clean bill of health. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness in me. Bring me back from gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. Give me a job teaching rebels your ways so the lost can find their way home. Commute my death sentence, God, my salvation, God, and I'll sing anthems to your life-giving ways. Unbutton my lips, dear God, and I'll let loose with your praise. Going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart-shattered lives, ready for love. Don't for a moment escape God's notice. Make Zion the place you delight in. Repair Jerusalem's broken-down walls. Then you'll get real worship from us. Acts of worship, small and large, including all the bulls they can heave onto your altar. So Peterson picks up on this language of cleansing, and he puts it in, like, real modern-day terms that we can get laundry, scrubbing things out. Um, Again, his focus, just as David's was, as he interpreted that, that psalm and rewrote it, was this concept of cleansing. The concept of cleansing comes out in the Old Testament. And so there's several passages that I want to read, starting with Ezekiel 36 at the bottom of that first page there. You may not hear, you may not know the context for these passages, which is okay um, at this point and how how we're reading them this morning. But um, I have some things italicized and underlined, and I'll talk about that when I'm done reading them. Uh, You want to zero in on on the the cleansing language. Ezekiel 36, therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back, but not because you deserve it. I'm doing it to protect my holy name, on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. 
I will show how holy my great name is, the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. For I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations and you will live in Israel, the land I gave your ancestors long ago. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will cleanse you of your filthy behavior. I will give you good crops of grain and I will send no more famines on the land. Zechariah 3. Then the angel showed me Jeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser Satan was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Jeshua. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusation, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. Jeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the other standing there, take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Jeshua, he said, see, I have taken away your sins and now I'm giving you these fine new clothes. Then I said, they should also place a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean priestly turban on his head and dressed him in new clothes. With the angel of the Lord stood by, while the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord spoke very solemnly to Jeshua and said, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. If you follow my ways and carefully serve me, then you will be given authority over my temple and its courtyards. I will let you walk among these others standing here. Listen to me, O Jeshua the high priest, and all you other priests. You are symbols of things to come. Soon I am going to bring my servant, the branch. Zechariah chapter 12. Then I will pour out my, I will pour out spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. The sorrow and mourning in Jerusalem on that day will be like the great mourning for Hadad Rimon in the valley of Megiddo. All Israel will mourn, each clan by itself, and with the husbands separate from their wives. The clan of David will mourn alone, as will the clan of Nathan, the clan of Levi, and the clan of Shimei. Each of the surviving clans from Judah will mourn separately and with the husband separate from their wives. On that day, a fountain will be opened for the dynasty of David and for the people of Jerusalem, a fountain to cleanse them from their sins and impurity. And then finally, Malachi chapter 3. Look, I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before you. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you look for so eagerly, eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal, or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Then once more the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem as he did in the past. These Old Testament passages get at that anticipation that David is writing about in Psalm 51, which is why he uses this cleansing language. Um, these Old Testament passages um, 
obviously in the italics were cleansing aspects of these passages, not ceremonial cleansing. You can find things about cleansing in um, other places of Scripture. In fact, Bathsheba was on her roof, roof bathing when David saw her, and she was bathing because she had just completed her menstrual cycle. So she was being cleansed ceremonially. But these passages get at something different. They get at this deeper spiritual coming, this deeper spiritual cleansing that's anticipating the coming of Christ. And in each of those passages, they talk about cleansing, and they also talk about Christ. And the underlined part alludes to Christ. Sometimes it's very direct. Sometimes it's a little bit not quite as clear, evident at first. But so wherever in the Old Testament, at least that I have been able to find, if you find something different, let me know. Wherever it conceives these ideas of deep spiritual cleansing, Christ is anticipated in the Old Testament. And this is the place that David finds himself. Um, Now, let's read some of the same passages, um, some cleansing passages in the New Testament. Um, John 15, 1 to 3. So these are the fulfillment. These are the fulfillment of what we've already read about in the Old Testament. David doesn't know these. We know these. David doesn't have these. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. 1 Corinthians. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And again, as we read these, it's going to talk about cleansing, and it's going to connect it with Christ every time. Cleansing, Christ. Ephesians. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Titus 3. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 9. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciousness from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sins they had committed under the first covenant. Now when someone leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. The will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. That is why even the first covenant was put into effect with the blood of an animal. For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats along with the water and sprinkled both the book of God's law and all the people using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. 
Then he said, this blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. And in the same way, he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle and on everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. Can you hear David? Like this, David's going like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Somebody gets it, right? David was looking for this. There's something, the, the, the real things of heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. That's what David is after. Hebrews 10. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide the perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. 1 John But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. And then finally, Revelation 7. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, Who are these who are clothed in white? Where do they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you are the one who knows. Then he said to me, These are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. So the fulfillment of what the Old Testament shared and that what we read this morning comes out in these New Testament passages, particularly the Hebrew passages, which are extremely powerful and extremely descriptive of what I believe David was trying to express, trying to get a feel for when he wrote Psalm 51. Surely there's something deeper. Surely there's a deeper cleansing than what this system offers. Surely there is. And so he goes after it. So cleansing through Christ. Just you can see the parallels and the, the common themes across and what we're talking about. So the thing broken in the old system was the animal. In the new system, through Christ, the thing broken are us. And David alludes to that in the song. He's like, God, I know what you want. You want a broken heart. But there's something else. There's something else, too, that needs to go with that. And, and this is what we know. The things broken are Jesus on the cross and, and us, the blood of Christ and our brokenness. In the old system, the blood spilled was the animals. Through Christ, the blood spilled is it's Christ. He is the blood. And it's not external because we're in deep relationship with Christ. So it's not this thing that stands over here, but it's this thing that, that is deeply connected with who we are, who has created us in his image. And so it's not far off. It's not external. It's, it's here. In the old system, the system was complex. The new system is so much more simple. Christ died on the cross and shed his blood for us, and we receive that. There's no directions about do something north and do this to the altar and 
pray the right prayer and read your Bible a certain number of times and uh, be nice to the lady crossing the street with her groceries. And no, there's not all of these things. There is, there is Christ and his blood on the cross. It's, it's that simple. In the old system, it was messy. In the new system, it, it, it's, the focus is on cleansing. The focus isn't on spattering blood and cutting up animals and cleaning the animals and putting their body parts and organs in certain places and getting it just right. That's messy. The focus with Christ is on the cleansing. And it's clean. And that's why we get washed. And it's why scripture talks about new clothes and white clothes and freshness and purity and holiness because that's the focus. The old system needed to be repeated regularly. Cleaning through Christ is once for all time. Once for all time. And scripture is very, very clear about that. So, um, going back to the refrigerator analogy. So, the old system was like, you're stuck with moving this fridge or something and heaving this thing out to get this piece of paper. The new system would be like, you go to your junk drawer, if you have a junk drawer. We do. I always had one growing up. We have one at our house. And you find like one of those sticky hands that your kids might have that they sling on things and leave stain marks on your walls if you, if you have those. And it's like this perfectly thin thing that you slide under and you pull it out and you get your paper, okay? That's way better than heaving this refrigerator out of the way. Like the perfect tool does exist and you find it and it's there and it's, and it's been there. It's there for us, right? So in the old system, it just didn't make sense to David. There's something had to be better because David's heart was deep. And like David didn't know Christ the way that we can. David, David felt, he sensed that it was there. He was after it, right? He knew God's word, but he still didn't know about the cross and Jesus being born as a man and com- being born as a baby and becoming a man and ministering on earth. He, he didn't have that like, like we have that. But he was after Jesus. He was after Jesus deeply. Don't be mistaken. He was after Jesus. So, so here, here's the thing. David, David yearned deeply for this. And we see that and hear that in Psalm 51. We're going to read Psalm 51 again and hear Hear David just yearning for this right here. David, David had this. He knew this. It was okay. Because at the end of the psalm, David comes back to the system again, right? He says, um, look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will once again be sacrificed on your altar. So David gets it. He gets that this is the system that's in place. And he's saying, okay, God, if this is what we have, if this is the system that's in place, that we're going to have to sacrifice these animals, and that's what cleansing is, fine, then we'll do it, in, and we'll do it in a way that pleases you, God, because that's what you're asking of us now. I know, I know you have something behind your back, God. I know there's something else there. But, but if this is what we have, then that's what we'll do. That's what we'll do, and, and we'll, do it, we'll do it the right way. Because we'll take that cleansing, God, because you're a good God, and if you want to cleanse us that way, great. So that's where David ends. So, so this isn't bad. David doesn't say it's bad. It's just that he knows that there's something more. And see, here's 
where we struggle is that we have this. It's right in front of us. It's all we've ever known. None of us have ever sacrificed an animal to cleanse ourselves from a sin. I hope not, um, at least. We, we, we read about this, we talk about it, and we realize that this is fulfilled in Christ. But if we stop and actually think about it, we often prepare, prefer this system. Even though we have this and it's clear as day, we've got God's word, we've experienced Jesus, we come and we corporately worship, we understand the cross and Jesus' blood, but we still find ourselves here. We still find ourselves wanting to satisfy our cleanliness with external things. Oh God, I'll read my Bible more, I promise. I'll pray more, I'll do more good things. Those are all external to who we are. They're done to, to, to accomplish something. Um, we like the system. We like the system because systems work for us because then we're in control, right? We operate the system. Check, 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 did that, did that, did that, did that. Okay, good. Okay, God, I'm good, right? I did what I was supposed to do and I, uh, I walked through the system the way that I did and I did it really well and I was in control of it and I think I did a good job. So we find ourselves, while we're not sacrificing animals and spraying blood all over the sides of altars and separating animal parts out, although Tim Courtright does a little bit of that after he goes hunting, um, as do some of you other ones, um, it's still the same thing. We're locked into these external solutions and a system that's going to get the job done for us, and it, and it doesn't satisfy us. And it didn't satisfy David. The thing is, we have this, right? We have this. We have Colossians chapter 1 that we read already. We know it. Here's the other thing, is that David yearned for Christ. He yearned for Christ, and we hear that in Psalm 51. He was going after Christ in his, in his language. In fact, let's read it now before this last point. Listen to the language. Listen to Jesus in this. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken heart. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. 
then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. There's other language in there, like up in verse uh, in nine. Oh no, I'm sorry. Yeah, verses nine and ten. Don't look on, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do you kind of hear that language of like old man, new man in there? That Christ language of like God, replace, replace what's here. This this sinner that I am, that I know that you love. Replace it with this new. And I think you, Peterson gets at it um, um, real, real strong in, 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 in Peterson's language. Like that creating new. That's, that's Jesus. David is after Jesus. So what are we after? Like what are we yearning for? Are we yearning for this Christ? Or are we yearning for something else? Are we yearning for the perfect relationship? The perfect kids, the perfect house, the perfect job, um, the perfect life circumstances. Um, Oftentimes, that's where we find ourselves yearning. Because we feel if we get that, then we've actually got Christ. But, But that's just a lie. That's not actually true. We feel like that's a reward for something. But that's, that's not necessarily how it works. So we understand yearning. It's just that we're often yearning after the wrong things. And we have this Christ right in front of us. This clear picture. And we still yearn after these things over here. We yearn after, you know, the, the, uh, the pat on the back or the words of affirmation from a father or a mother who never gave it to us. And it hurts. And we want it. And we deserve it but we're focused there when there's this Christ who we can yearn after, who gives us that and so much more. And yet we miss it because we're so focused on yearning after these things here that, that maybe God will give us someday. And certainly they're worthy things. I mean, we all want to have good marriages and we all want to have good parenting. We all want to have all of that stuff and good jobs that we like getting up and going to and feel fulfilled and purposeful. And that's all good. But that is not deeply fulfilling. This, this is deeply fulfilling. This is where our yearning should be as David yearned. And so David comes full circle for us. He comes full circle. He's this godly leader who had led Israel to this amazing place of peace and prosperity and a place of dependence on their father. Everywhere that David went, he was giving glory to God. God won this battle. God gave us this. God, what should we do here? Should I attack? Yeah, David, do that. Okay, God, I'll do it. He was with his father. And then all of a sudden, bam, it's like the cravings of this world overwhelm him, and he's so deeply away, far from his father. And then when the opportunity is presented, and he wakes up, and he goes back home, and he receives all this goodness from his father, and now he's talking about it. Like, now he's expressing it. Now he's going after it. It's not just enough to say, okay, God forgave me. He's going after something deeper, something deeper, a deeper cleansing. And folks, we we have it. It's, It's here. We have the New Testament. We know the truth. God is cleansing us in the way that David asked for so desperately. Team, you can come on up. Um, I'm gonna pray, and then uh, we're gonna worship. God, we uh We desire to be a people that are yearning after 
what David yearned after. And God, we are so grateful that we have a clear picture of what it is that we're going after. And not only are we going after it, but the thing is you're drawing us into that place. Like you've prepared this place for us. You have reconciled us to you. You are drawing us into your presence. You are the one who cleans and purifies and restores and gives the new clothes. You are the one. As much as we want to do it, we can't. We try. It's hard. We check off our boxes. We have the system down. It's messy, but we feel like we have arrived. And when we get to the end and it doesn't satisfy, we're mad we're angry, we're frustrated. And if we would just turn around and pursue the true yearning of our heart and allow your drawing us into your presence to happen, that we would have the courage to go to that place, to take our hands off and receive fully the cleansing, Lord, that you want to give us. So God, release us into that, Jesus. Release us into that. In your name we pray, amen. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided cleansing, the sacrifices would have been stopped for the worshipers, and the worshipers would have been purified once for all, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Let's pray and receive from the Lord. God, your will for us, your will for David was to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. God, we are your holy people. We have been made holy by the blood on the cross. And so, God, let us receive the fullness of what that means, to be your holy people. We desire to be your holy people. We talk about being your holy people. We think about being your holy people. It's our language. But, God, so much gets in the way of that for us, so much. Let us, your body here at Cornerstone, and your church in our region, and your church worldwide, God, be ones who acknowledge that we are a holy people not because of what we've done or not because of a system, but because of your death on a cross. And our holiness matters. It matters to this world. It matters to our family. It matters to our coworkers. God, let us live as a people made holy and cleansed by the blood. Let us take that to the world that we live in and confound our world with the holiness that you have given us, God. We do not walk in shame, we do not walk in guilt. We do not walk as ones who live in fear, but we walk as ones confident, as ones clean, as ones courageous, and as ones who have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. We thank you, Jesus. You are worthy. You are worthy. You have given us everything that we need. You are holy. Jesus, we glorify you. In your name we pray. Amen.